But let's move on um, before we talk about Scotland to to that England formation and some of the other players in that team. You have, of course, Declan Rice. You have Phil Foden, who I really want to see play in this tournament alongside Mason Mount. And you just have so many young players who can come off the bench as well. The interesting thing for me, though, is is how attacking just Southgate goes. And hopefully we don't need to talk about this too much because we have other teams to talk about. But how attacking is he able – Is how attacking is Southgate ready to put on that field? Because he's tended to be a little bit conservative at his time with England. And that's not a bad thing. He doesn't want to concede goals. But at the same time, you have so many attacking talents, so many young attacking talents on this team that you don't unleash. And if you're playing a midfield three and you're playing a back five and you're only playing two players up top, that kind of deletes the whole purpose of having so many of those great forwards on the bench. And it's just a shame sometimes to see those players who have had great seasons not be able to play just because of a system. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you think that he'll tend, I mean, of course he'll tend a little bit more defensive because that's, you don't want to concede goals in a tournament, but what are your thoughts on him kind of, not really unleashing some of these young talents because there's just so many of them. I think he is, as you say, probably a, a bit of a cautious coach. And for that reason, I do suspect we'll see uh, a 3-4-2-1 or a 3-4-3 or whatever you want to call it. Yeah, I mean, there are England have so many talented attacking players that it seems uh, almost remiss not to try and crowbar as many of them in. But... I guess that's the problem with England in years past is that they've had really good players and they've tried to stick them all in a team and hope it works uh, rather than probably building a system that is uh, is a bit more structured and, and actually functions well. Um, I wouldn't be at all surprised to be honest if he essentially tries to mirror what Zuckel has done at Chelsea with system-wise uh, and maybe play a, a Mount and a, and a Foden uh, behind a Kane or a Mount mm. and a Sterling or... Foden and Sterling, um, and then potentially have someone like a Sancho off the bench or a Rashford off the bench if if England need to, to win a game. Um, in midfield would be interesting. I think Rice is a nailed on starter, and if you have the two wing backs, it's kind of who plays alongside him. Jordan Henderson isn't fit. I think everybody knows that. Calvin Phillips is maybe an option, um, but that's probably the biggest question mark as well as uh, who fills in at centre back, especially if Harry Maguire doesn't play in the in the group stage. So. Yeah, there are a couple of question marks for, for Southgate to solve, but I do think that his general approach is going to be a bit more conservative than perhaps what a lot of England supporters would like. But um, but maybe in the in the group stage or maybe against the Czech Republic or not to, to, to play down Scotland, but maybe a Scotland, he does drop Mount into the two and bring in another forward player as well. But, um, but yeah, I suspect he probably won't do that just because he is a bit of a risk-averse coach. But another person that has so much experience to gain is our young Scott, Billy Gilmore, who's playing in his first international tournament, of course, for the manager, Steve Clark. The underdarks, you could probably say in Group D. Scotland, however, they're going to benefit from whole advantage. They're going to play Croatia and Czech Republic in, in their home country in the UK. So they're not going to need any firing up for that meeting, of course, at England, of course, as well at Wembley. So they shouldn't be underestimated, even if they have kind of found that a struggle to find a system that, that allows for their star man to shine. But Steve Clark, he's, he's made progress, I believe. And he has one of the best left backs since we're man, Andy Robertson, as well as a very hardworking midfield, the likes of McTominay, McGinn, of course, Billy Gilmore, McGregor, Christie, Fraser. So group qualification isn't completely out of the question. 
but some midfielders like Ryan Jack and Kenny McLean might miss out through injury. Um, but Steve Clark, he's well-equipped, like I mentioned, with Scott Matomanay, who can sometimes play in that back three that like he seems to favor. They had the likes of Kieran Tierney, who's a brilliant young player, but also Che Adams, who has been slotted into somewhat of a front two and, and provides some of, some of attack and threat. But let's get back into Billy Gilmore because he's our main talking point in the Scotland squad. What great experience it is for him, especially after it looked kind of uncertain if he would make it into the squad. But yeah, I think with Billy is that he came into the squad quite late. He wasn't, you know, really nailed on for it, um, partly because obviously he wasn't playing really regularly. That he's in is a fantastic experience for him and I'm really pleased for him again because I just for a lot of the Chelsea players going uh, to the Euros, you know, he is a, a good guy and you're pleased that he's going to have this experience at 19 years old, especially Scotland don't tend to always get to major competitions, um, yeah. which isn't me uh, taking a dig at Scotland. It's just uh, the reality of it. So it'll be great for him. I, I hope he gets a few minutes. I think he came on the other day uh, against Luxembourg and, and looked very, very capable. Um took a quite a nasty hit and I think he only played out half an hour because of that because he was brought on and brought off because of a, a nasty hit he took in that but um but I hope he gets some minutes but yeah Scotland's midfield is is fairly strong I suppose and probably yeah. quite um they've got quite the sort of profile of midfield that Steve Clark I think liked you know John McGinn Scott McTominay uh Stuart Armstrong Callum McGregor these are you know a very uh not in a sort of physically dominating but they've got um We've got mobility and they can get around the pitch and they can get up and down the pitch quite a lot. And I think that's probably what Steve Clark favours, maybe more than someone like Billy Gilmore, who would try and control the midfield. Um, and just again, Shadows was really important to them because it gave them a, a, a genuine in sort of forward, which they were probably lacking. So mm. I think Scotland have a chance of getting out of the group, um, maybe as a sort of third, third best play side. But um, I would be... Sadly, I'll say sadly, I'll be, I'll be surprised if Gilmore is a regular starter. But who knows, if he gets a couple of outings from the bench, maybe he forces his way into that starting eleven because mm-hmm. I don't think you can deny his quality because everyone's seen it and he's so composed on the biggest stage. There's so many different matchups between these these Chelsea players and one of them is going to be that Scotland-England game, but also, of course, the England-Croatia game. But what a story that would be if Billy Gilmore does get that start against England after maybe coming off the bench in that first game against the Czech and having a good outing. And like I mentioned earlier, they're going to have home home advantage, which will probably really help them with their fans. Even at Wembley, they're going to have so much support going into that game. They don't have really any really pressure going into this tournament, so maybe that can play into their hands as well especially at that marquee game at Wembley Stadium coming up in their second fixture of the tournament. Let's move on now, though, to the Spanish national team with Cesar Aspilicueta making Luis Enrique's squad, which is really, really great to see because he hasn't really been in Spanish's squads over these past couple of international breaks. I don't believe he was in the March squad or even the November one. So this is his first outing with the Spanish team in quite a lot of time. He's competing though with Marcus Sorrente from Atletico Madrid. He might not be a nailed on starter for Spain, but he's going to be really good nurturing the young and, and acting as an example for those younger players. And maybe he will get the time to play because he has been so brilliant for Chelsea over these past couple of months in the Champions League. Enrique likes to play a back four, so he wouldn't really play as the one, the two center backs. He'd probably play at the right back position. 
in that 4-3-3 system. Spain are interested inside, though. Of course, they've won the tournament three times. They have the most titles alongs Germany. And they have a lot of really great talent, even though the likes of Sergio Ramos aren't in the squad. Laporte's coming up from France has caused a lot of drama. Torres, Llorente, Thiago, Rodri. I mean, great players. Fran Torres, great, great players. Unai Simone, of course, has emerged as a number one goalkeeper. So what are your thoughts on Aspilicueta making it back into the Spanish squad? Because it's been a while for him. Uh, I think it's a reward for, for how well he's played under Thomas Tuchel. Um, I don't envisage him probably playing too many minutes, if I'm honest, unless um, Marcus Llorente really is exposed as a as a as a right back, even though he has played there for Atletico Madrid at times this season and always looked fairly comfortable. So um, I think probably as P has benefited from Ramos not going, um, mm. and I think he is the sort of person you'd probably want in a dressing room, uh, yeah. especially if they're not going to play too much. I don't think you're going to see. Cesar Azpilicueta ever kick up a fuss or, or cause trouble in the dressing room, um, despite the fact he's not maybe playing. Um, Spain's preparation for this tournament obviously has been quite impacted by uh, Sergio Busquets testing positive for COVID-19, mm. and that's thrown quite a lot of things uh, into... Um, sort of chaos, really, because I think a lot of the, the Spain players had to isolate. I think they missed a day of training or they had to train alone. Um, and isolate for a day until they got negative tests back. Sergio Busquets has now been sent home uh, to isolate as well. So there's a big debate now about whether or not um, he's now involved or a replacement is called up. Luis Enrique only named 24 players as well. So you can't now add to that group, but you can potentially replace Busquets. Um, it's interesting that Spain are basically calling up a parallel group of players at this point in case there is a mass COVID outbreak in the Spain group. Mm. Um Obviously, they you know, have been tested, but tests can maybe be done too early, depending on, on how far the virus has progressed. So Spain is trying to cover a base at this point. They've called quite a few players up. One of them is Kepa. Uh, he has mm. been called up to this parallel squad. He hasn't been named in this sort of full Spanish squad at this point. But if there was to be a big outbreak of COVID-19 in that squad, then there is that possibility that he is brought in. So it's uh, a lot going on with Spain um, at the moment. But um but yeah, sorry, just to digress of us for the quiet. But yeah, I think as people be a, a good guy to have in that squad. Um, mm. And unless Marcus Llorente really struggles as a right back, I don't, I don't envisage him playing probably too many minutes. But um, maybe that's not the worst thing from a Chelsea perspective, to be honest. Mm. And Llorente is probably the first nail on that team sheet, which is it's somewhat disappointing for Aspilicueta. But at the same time, it's great for him to be in that squad, like we mentioned, and, and be recognized from what he's done from the manager and Luis Enrique because he hasn't been that same way. And that defense is really, really strong. I mean, you have the likes of Laporte, Torres, Alba, and the midfield is really, really strong. So what do you think of Spain chances in this tournament? They don't have the strongest group. Uh, they're with Poland, Slovakia, and Sweden. They're going to probably definitely get through the group stage, and from there, anything can really happen. So... I think Spain, honestly, I think they can go pretty far, maybe into the semifinals in this tournament because their midfield going back is so strong. They have the likes of Torres and Morata and Traore to cause some trouble in, in that attack. So what are your thoughts on uh, Spain's running tournament? Because they have a great manager in Enrique and they have a really solid midfield back. Uh, I think they'll get through the group, as you say. Uh, I think maybe to reach the latter stages, they may come a bit unstuck. They don't have a genuine goal threat, and I don't think they're now set up to play the false nine anymore, completely honest. I mean, 
Alvaro Morata, we all know as Chelsea fans, can have spells where he's absolutely unplayable and spells when he's not so good. Um, and uh, he got a bit of grief uh, in Spain's last warm-up game where the first team played where he missed a few chances and, and was given some uh, some grief from the fans, which probably isn't the smartest thing to do when it's Alvaro Morata because he's a sensitive guy and does take things like this to heart. So maybe giving your main striker ahead of a tournament grief isn't the smartest thing to do as a fan. Um but yeah, the, the, they don't necessarily have that genuinely, you know, world-class number nine. You look back at the successful Spanish teams of, of you know, the World Cup and Euro 2008 and Euro 2012. You know, those teams had such variety, but they also had Fernando Torres and David Villa, um, mm. two of arguably the best strikers of their generation, uh, especially, you know, maybe pre-Chelsea Torres as well was, was, was unplayable at times. Um, I am uh, my mum's side of the family is Spanish, so I have a soft yeah. spot for Spain. Um, so I would like them to see them do well. I think they'll get probably through to the quarters, maybe the semi-finals, but um, I think they're probably just maybe missing that mm. genuine sort of world-class number nine, maybe to take them all the way. I liked. I've, I will first of all. I am happy that you you talked about the point of the lack of a goal score. I think they're going to try to churn as much as they can to Gerard Moreno who had a really great Europa League campaign for Real Real, of course, scoring the final. I think he even had 30 goals in all competitions for Real Real this season. So he's going to probably play ahead of Morata, ahead of Traore. And if he's the player that they're going to look forward to to score that goal, I just don't think they can get to that final. But I think that their midfield and their defense is so sound that they can control games and they can nick a goal or two and win games one or two now and they can advance in this tournament. So I think that they have a really solid team. I think they have a good dressing room. Bar Marats may be getting angry a couple of times not playing, um, but I think that Spain can, can advance pretty far in this tournament. Let's move on, of course, to the last group and possibly the most interesting group in this tournament, of course, with France, German, all, Portugal, and poor old Hungary. I mean, poor old Hungary because they have to play all three <laughs> of these teams. Um, but let's start with France, and let's start with Kurt Zuma because he made this squad I think people forgot how great he was at the beginning of the season for Frank Lampard, one of the first names on the team. She even towards the end of his reign at the club, he was handing goals like it was nothing. The only problem is he has someone named Raphael Varane and, and Kim Pembe and Kunde and Dubois and Langlet that he has to overtake. But he's in the squad, which is really awesome. He he's gonna get this experience. Of course, this is probably the best group of players depth-wise in the league. So of course he wasn't gonna start. But maybe against Hungary he plays. Who knows? But clearly, the Shams likes the player. He's had an up and down past couple of weeks. Of course, not playing, not really being involved in Chelsea's Champions League runs, but playing against the likes of Arsenal. If memory serves me, really played against Manchester City in that Premier League game as well. So he's had moments. But at the same time, when you're in this France squad with so many other great talents at center backs, you're not going to get minutes. But it's great to see him in the squad. Yeah, it's, uh, it's great for him. And I think maybe this falls into the same category as, uh, as we just spoke about with Cesar Espilicueta. Mm. And Kurt Zuma is such a warm personality and a, and a good yeah, guy. He's probably guy. the sort of guy you want in a squad, um, even though he's not probably going to play. You know, you look at the depth of centre-back that France have got, you know, as you say, you've got Varane, you've got Longley, you've got Kimpembe, you've got uh, Jules Koundé, you've got Benjamin Pavard and Lucas Hernandez, who both play as a centre-back as well. Mm. Um so, you know, the chances of, of Kurt Zuma playing uh, anything like regular minutes is, is pretty slim. But 
as we've seen in this, you know, if you watch any of the behind the scenes stuff at Chelsea, Kurt Zuma is a really good guy and a really big personality and a good personality. He is the sort of guy you'd want with you for a month, potentially, uh, traveling across Europe. He's the sort of guy you want to be with you. Um, and I think that's probably the reason he's in because he he's had a good season and he can offer something maybe a bit different. You know, he's so aerially dominant um, as a centre-back that maybe that is something that France could turn to in the right game, although I think it's probably unlikely. But um, yeah, he's such a, a good character to have in, in a squad. I think that's probably why he's there because he will keep everyone uh, happy, keep the place light. And that's exactly what you need when you're probably stuck with the same people for the best part of four weeks. It looks like, too, France, with their talent, is going to reach a third successful, successive tournament final, which is pretty unbelievable. Of course, getting to the final in 2016, falling to Portugal, of course, winning the World Cup on their home soil in 2018. And now, with probably the best depth in, in this whole tournament, the favorites, the head-on favorites to win, headlined by the best midfielder and the best player in the world, and N'Golo Kante. He's probably going to play in a midfield three which is interesting for him because he hasn't really played this hold-in midfielder role a lot, especially under Thomas Tuchel, but he's used to it. And I feel like if if Deschamps wanted to get the best out of him, though, he probably shouldn't play alongside Rabiot and Pogba. It should be a midfield two of, of Pogba and Conte and, and take out Rabiot and put out an extra attacker. So what say you on Conte's position for France? Because it could change a little bit his role. I mean, he's still going to be absolutely brilliant for them, but he might not be able to do as much going forward yeah i think playing him as a as a number six a soul six is always going to restrict him a little bit because you're asking him to do something that is probably not as natural to him um yeah. i think as, as Tuchel has said loads of times since he's come in kante's best role is in the double six where you essentially just let him go and search and destroy um across the pitch you don't really say just sit here and, and protect the defense you let him off the leash and just chase down wherever he thinks the ball is going to be. And because he's such an intelligent guy and is probably playing about five seconds ahead of everybody else, he's always in the right position to win it back. Um, so he will have a bit of a different role. It will restrict him a little bit. But as you say, you've got such quality in that French midfield. Uh, you are trying to trying to get it all in. You are trying to get Pogba into to a role that suits him. You 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 know whether or not you you want Talisa in there as well. You've got. Um, Mishisoka, who's a very different player, probably probably a bit more vertical, and you've got Thomas Lamar as well. So maybe try and move into that into that group. It's a lot of talent trying to get in, and um, you know it's not easy for Didier Deschamps. It's a nice problem to have, but uh, yeah, personally, I would always try and you, you see how effective Kante can be when you play him in his best role. Chelsea have seen that last sort of few months. He is turned into the absolute ultimate big game player and, and if you put him in his best position you're probably going to get a nine out of ten performance from him now um, without too much debate so um so yeah it'd be an interesting one but i still think uh he'll be a little bit restricted and maybe not exactly the force of nature we've seen um in the last few months especially the likes of paul pogba not really playing in a midfield pivot ever since that 2018 world cup i mean even thinking about likes like last season with with ola he would play him as more of a number eight, an attacking midfielder, even playing on the left wing in, in United's Europa League campaign. But I think he actually, memory serves me correct, I think he did play in that midfield for the Europa League final. So Pogba and Conte, we know the relationship. We know how well they work together with each other. We saw that in 2018 World Cup. 
But before we move on to Germany, we had to talk about one handsome man, Olivier Giroud, who extended his contract <laughs> one year. We'll see what his future lies, but like what it lies like at Chelsea. It's great to see him in the squad, especially with the return of his best friend, um, Benzema. He's back, but Giroud has experience in the squad, even though he didn't score a goal in the 22 World Cup, which a lot of people bring up. He was really vibrant and allowing space for Kylian Mbappe to absolutely run in that World Cup. And he's going to play a big role, I'm sure, once again in this attack. But just like the midfield, just like the defense, just like even the goalkeeping situation, this France attack is absolutely loaded, especially at the strike position. So Giroud probably won't get many minutes. But at the same time, he's another great personality to have. He's once again the French squad at 34 years old, which shows just how long he's been at the top. He's very close to breaking Thierry Henry's record as the France top scorer, which is an unbelievable achievement. Can he do it in the Euros? That's the big question. Can he get the minutes to break that in this competition? That's also a big question. So our best friend Benzema might edge him out in this one. I think the return of Benzema was really bad news for Giroud mm-hmm. in terms of his starting hopes. Um, you look at that sort of front three that Deschamps seems to be playing in the warm-up games of Mbappe, Griezmann and uh, Benzema. I mean, it's an stacked front three. Uh, you probably aren't going to get too many better front threes in world football at this point. Um, and then you've got people like Ben Yedder on the bench. You've got Usman Dembele to, to introduce, who's always a sort of a wild card option. Um, I think Giroud will get minutes, probably in games that France maybe aren't playing as well in and want to sort of mix things up a little bit. I think you might see Oli Giroud then because he does bring something very different, obviously, to the likes of, uh, of Griezmann and Mbappe and, and Benzema and Ben Yedder. He's a very different striker. He's got a very different profile and has a very different skill set. And in certain games, that may be needed. But um, it would be nice for him to, to, to break Thierry Henry's record because Oli Giroud is just a player who's never probably been appreciated as, as much as he maybe should have been um, mm-hmm. by a lot of different fans, Arsenal fans. I think Chelsea fans as well probably didn't always quite appreciate just how nuanced his game is and how well-rounded it is. Um, but as we said, he, he's a good guy to have as well. He's, you know, Lampard spoke about it. Thomas Tuchel spoke about it. He's a good guy to have in your dressing room. He's a, a positive influence as well. So, so yeah, uh, my uh, my instinct is he probably won't play too much, but um, it wouldn't surprise me if that didn't mean uh, France got to the final and uh, and won the thing again, to be honest, because their squad is just so so stacked with quality across the board. Mm. The defence do, I think, Giroud could really benefit from the likes of, of Pavard and Hernandez because we know that their ability to cross the ball into the box and in Giroud's favourite goal is a heading goal. So if Giroud does come on and play, great for him, but at the same time, Ben Yedder's going to be on the bench, like you mentioned. Kinsley Coleman, who's had a great couple of past seasons scoring the Champions League final, is going to be on the bench. Usman Dembele is going to be on the bench. Don't forget about Thorum, who's going to be on the bench. Thomas Lemour can play in the front three. And so can Suzuko. This team is absolutely loaded. The favorites win the tournament for a reason, because from front to back. And by the way, they have one of the best goalkeepers in the world in Hugo Lloris. So tough time beating France, everyone, in this tournament. But let's move on to one of their companions. And that is Germany. I cannot wait for this matchup in the first fixture. I'm pretty sure they play each other in their first fixture. Germany versus France. Conte versus Cruz. Havertz versus Giroud. There's so many storylines, especially in the Chelsea community. Rudiger versus Giroud. Rudiger is going to be a nailed-on player. And let's start with him. Yeah, and Tony Rudiger played on the left of a back three, I think, in their last warm-up game, Germany, unless I'm mistaken. Mm. But um, but yeah, he, he given his form the last few months, 
it kind of makes sense for him uh if especially especially if it's back three you have to start him given how good he's been on that left side for mm-hmm. Chelsea in that role um yeah he he's going to be an important player and I think you know Germany kept a clean sheet or well they kept a clean sheet with him on the pitch uh, <laughs> uh against I think it was Latvia uh unless I'm getting that mistaken but um um but yeah he, he's played his way into this team and and to say he's been so good for Chelsea and um who he's if he has a really big tournament, I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing for Chelsea because he's obviously only got one year left on his contract. He hasn't signed a new one yet. He isn't going to before the con- uh, before the tournament gets underway. And if he has an absolutely fantastic tournament, maybe that makes it a bit harder for Chelsea to keep him around. Um, but that will be uh, that will be an interesting sort of subplot to to this mm-hmm. tournament, I think, for Chelsea and Rudiger. And if he's playing a back three, I mean, even better for him, right, with the likes of, of Sula and Klostrom. Yeah, I think because they are somewhat of a wild card because we don't really know how they're gonna how they're gonna do also looking at their history and in Lowe's decisions in that 2018 world cup i mean some of his decisions and tactically wise sometimes he didn't really know what system he was going to use which which kind of clinkered him in that world cup not even get out of the group stage so i mean they're going to have a really tough time with likes of france and portugal especially if they can defend really solid i think that back three provides the defense with some more civility, especially with the likes of, of Rudiger and Sula in the bag, and, and not to mention Manuel Neuer, who's been just absolutely brilliant for the German national team as well. They, of course, they lost to North Macedonia in that 2-1 to game back in March. Most famously known for one Timo Werner's miss. So let's get on to Timo Werner next, and then we'll finish up with, with Kai Havertz, just because Werner, he looked like he would have been starting for this Germany team even over likes of Serge Gnabry last summer. Of course, now, probably not looking that way. It's probably coming off as an impact sub, and what an impact sub that would be, running the pitch the last 25 minutes for Germany. But he's probably not going to be able to get too many starts in this tournament, especially with likes of Gnabry, his companion Havertz, and, and like you mentioned, Thomas Muller, you brought up earlier. So what are your thoughts on Werner? It seems like he has a good relationship with, with, with Germany manager. Sort of progression from that, if I'm honest, and obviously he has had that. He did have that awful miss against North Macedonia, which really did cost uh, cost Germany a, a getting at least a draw slash win in that. So um, <laughs> I think he will be an impact sub. I don't envisage him starting, but as you say, he's a great option off the bench. He will run the channels all day. It's just about getting the ball to him um, and then hoping he can sort of do something with it. Um, as we've seen at Chelsea, it's very hit and miss this season. But you never know, you know, there are moments in tournaments when things can just fall for a player. And if yeah. it fell for Timo Werner, it'd be a huge confidence boost for him and probably really good for Chelsea uh, going into next season. Because um, no matter what Chelsea do in this transfer market, if they sign another centre forward, if they don't, Timo Werner is going to be really important either way. So um, so it would be nice for him to have a big moment in a tournament to sort of just revitalise his, rebuild his confidence um, in one sort of easy swoop. I think, too, he's another player for Chelsea. He's just playing so many minutes and maybe come off the bench and not playing 60 minutes, 70 minutes every match. Could maybe benefit him, especially because he might be a little bit tired, a little bit banged up from how many minutes he has played, and he can put 100% effort in coming off the bench. But before we end up, let's talk about Kai Havertz because, once again, he scored a goal for Germany, had an assist yesterday. He's really working well with the likes of Virg Gnabry, Thomas Muller, and I didn't mention... Leroy Sané, who is another threat for Germany in the attack. 
he looks like he's going to be a definite star in this tournament, probably at the dismay of his companion in Timo Werner. And he looks like he's going to be playing as either a striker or like on that right win slot that we saw him play for Chelsea in the Champions League final. We know he can play basically in every position from the number 10 up. We deal with his Germany side. And he's experienced now. And he has all the confidence in the world after that Champions League final, which is so awesome to see. And he's going to carry that into the, the, the European Championships, you reckon, as well. I think this might be quite a big tournament for Kai Havertz. I think um, he obviously hasn't played as much before as a lot of the guys going in because of the circumstances of this season for, for differing reasons. But he looks very fit during the run-in for Chelsea. He looked fresh, which a lot of players necessarily haven't. Um, and yeah, he proved in that Champions League final that he... Well, I don't think he had to prove that he was a, a top-quality player because I think everybody knew that. But he sort of proved that he'd found his feet at Chelsea um, with that Champions League final performance because he was absolutely excellent um, in that. Um, as so many other players were too. So, yeah, it's an interesting one. I do quite like the fact that him and Thomas Miller are, are potentially going to be in the same side because I think mm-hmm. they both use space uh, in very interesting ways and utilise space in different areas of the pitch very cleverly. Um, so... I think we'll have a. I think we'll have a quite big tournament from Kai Havertz, um, which will do him wonders uh, coming into next season. I hope for Chelsea. Mm. Yeah, France versus Germany one week from today, and it's at the Allianz as well. So Germany has some uh, home mm, advantage one, yeah. against. It's going to be a great game to see France and Germany, but also Portugal. Um, and that group definitely will be one of the hardest groups in the in the group stage. But also looking forward to, to if there's going to be able to make three teams get out of that group going forward. But Adam, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today. We covered 17 of Chelsea's players from our loan, but also some who were not really playing for Chelsea over these like couple of weeks, including the likes of Emerson. And um, it was great to talk to you once again today. But before I let you go off the hook, where can my listeners find your work on football.london, but also what you do on Twitter with your content creation? Yeah, as you say, all my written content is on uh, the Football London website, and I am uh, on Twitter at Adam Newson. You can find me on Facebook, which I'm going to make a much more concerted effort to, to post on there because I haven't mm-hmm. done a huge amount on there, but I'm going to do that as well uh, going forward. So if you on facebook give my page a like and i promise you it's going to be a lot more active than it has been um and yeah my twitter page yeah is at adam newson so if you could all follow it'd be very much appreciated mm. well thank you very much adam once again for coming on the podcast today it's really appreciated your work has been so awesome for the chelsea community during this past season i can't wait to see what you do in the summer chelsea transfer news wise but also covering Chelsea players at the European Championships and going forward and moving into next season because I think next season is going to be a really special one for Chelsea. It's going to be a pretty memorable one. Premier League title or not, it's going to have a lot of action. And make sure to also check out Adam's whole Chelsea companions, including Sam Ankerser on football.london because they really do great work on that website and they provide really quick. They provide concise information, but at the same time they put out fast you with great articles and some of their articles are really great reads. Some of them are long reads, some of them are short reads, but regardless, they put a lot of work, a lot of effort into help out the Chelsea community get their news in the fastest, but also the most concise way, which I really appreciate because sometimes people don't have much time to read articles, but at the same time they give you really great reads for the Chelsea community and you guys have been really awesome especially over this past year I'm um, helping out because there hasn't been fans in the ground so you guys have been the stadiums thank god that's not going to be the same for next season but you guys really have done great content this year and I want to thank you once again 
and for coming on the podcast because it was really fun today to go through the Chelsea squad, talk about them on the international level because it's kind of been put in the rearview mirror over this past two or three months with the crazy Chelsea whirlwind that it was the end of the season. But yeah, once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. As always, you guys can find me on Twitter, Ashinhelcom13. You can find the podcast on Instagram. We're trying to really grow that account with teaser videos before the episode releases. So if you guys don't have the time to listen to the 45 hour minute podcast, you guys can listen to a two minute, three minute snippet and uh, maybe listen to it later. But once again, Adam, thank you so much for on the podcast today. You guys can find us on Instagram at Lad from Matthew Harden podcast. And you can find me on Twitter at Shinokum13 over the weekend. We're going to have Joe Tweedy back on the podcast to talk about Chelsea transfer this summer. I'm really looking forward to. But over this past couple, over these next couple weeks, it's all about the European Championships and it's all about those 17 Chelsea players who are vying for spots for the national team. So once again, thank you so much for coming on the podcast. Stay until next time, Chelsea fans. Stay safe. God bless. And I'll talk soon.